We're going to return again <clears throat> sometime since we uh, pursued, we've had a number of series, but a series in terms of going through a, a particular book. Uh, we may divert from that as God directs us otherwise, but at the present time, the plan is that we begin to look at the second book of Samuel. And you may well, therefore, benefit um, by reading that. Uh, we're probably, it's difficult to say how much we'll get done in, a, in any given session. It's a good idea to familiar, familiarize yourself with that. I'd like to take that a step further. Um, as you're looking at that, I'd like you to be part of a, a, a corporate joining in. If something particularly um, stands out to you, something particularly um, really kind of connects with you, you think, yeah, it kind of hits you. What I'd really like you to do is, it, most of you have email, uh, just email me uh, with that point so that we can be looking at this in a kind of corporate way. If you don't have email, then make a little note and just pass it to me via Debbie um, so that we can have the benefit of that. I'm not saying we're going to do this every week, but it's a good thing to do. And if you mark the particular point associated to the particular verse, then when we come to that, we can do that. So the second book of Samuel. After the death of Saul, this is verse 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from defeating the Amalekites and stayed at Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and with dust on his head. Remember that uh, David and Saul are is separate at that point in time. And uh, David's fighting the Amalekites. Uh, Saul seemed to be engaged with the Philistines. They're in, in two sep completely separate groups, separate battles. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and with dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honour. Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I've escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked. Tell me. He said, the men fled from the battle. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said. And there was Saul, leaning on his spear, with the chariots and riders almost upon him. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me. And I said, what can I do? He asked me, who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, stand over me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood over him and killed him because I knew that after he had fallen he couldn't survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band that was on his arm and I brought them here to my Lord. And David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening. 
for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they'd fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I'm the son of an alien. And a Malachite, he answered. David asked him, Why were you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. But David said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Then David and uh, his people, uh, the men of Judah, uh, David came in with this what's called a lament and they mourned uh, the loss of Saul and Jonathan. And uh, a, very, a very real and heartfelt lament it was as well. I want us, as we have a look at this, to pick up a couple of points. Uh, starting way back there at the first verse, he waited, he stayed in Ziklag for two days. This is a story of something that happened a long time ago. But remember, it's included in God's Word for our present now instruction. Now, we can, we can gain instruction by a sort of factual understanding. And we can map out the battles and the people involved. and we, it's, It would be like a history book where you learn factual details. I want us to understand that God never intended that his word be used like a history book, uh, an instruction in facts of things that happened long ago. He intended that through this method that he determined, uh, he would speak to us now. So when we read it, it's not a point of just, it's good to get the knowledge and the facts and so on and so forth, but the primary thing is to say, okay, so, so Lord, what are you saying? What, what is your word? What, what is it that you're communicating? And that's how we should approach it. The first thing we see when he waited two days that he was an issue of timing. Uh, he was looking and waiting for God's timing. He knew the battles were going on elsewhere. He knew that on the death of Saul, he would become king. But he was not rushing to get the news to get into that position. He was not focused on What's happening so I can gain this role? He was focused on what does God want? What is God's timing? Something very, very important. He was awaiting God's timing. Uh, I, I can never talk about this without remembering, and I've told you this before, but without remembering the words of uh, Arthur Wallace, who was a, a great pioneer in much of what we are uh, understanding and living in today. I can, I can still see him standing there saying to a, a group of leaders, uh, brothers, you need to know God's mind, but you also need to know his moment, God's timing, the direction and timing. And so in this place of rest, in this place of peace, he was prepared 
to just wait, not rushing about to get news or to see about his kingship, looking for God's timing. Then we see that a situation developed. This Amalekite arrived, and, you know, his clothes are torn, there's dust on his head, uh, he looks the part. But, of course, in the, in the kingdom of God, we're not just assessing things on a, a logical or natural basis. So, logically, it looked okay, but what looks okay logically is not necessarily right. Not necessarily right. It's important that, again, we know God's timing and what God is saying in a situation. Here's a man then, had a story, looked the part. But he was actually making up a story. He was lying in order to gain a position of advantage. He was deceiving in order to try and kind of get in with David. You know, he brings the crown and he brings things and he comes with this story and he, he, he presents himself as the one that had uh, dispatched Saul, who he perceived was the enemy of David. So he's basically coming along to, hey, you know, I've done you a favor here, boss. You know, uh, look, uh, here's this for you. And uh, yeah, I dispatched the enemy for you. And of course, the book hadn't been written at that point. And I don't know whether David had alternative knowledge. I've not seen that. He may have done. Um, I haven't traced that through. But either he had alternative knowledge or he was operating as God intends that we operate. Which is, it's not necessarily what we see with these eyes, but what is God saying? You see, if you get, just jump back into the uh, previous book, the first book of Samuel in the last chapter, you get the actual story. Now, he, he couldn't read this. It wasn't written. But somehow, <clears throat> he seemed to pick up that it was not as being presented to him. And I want us to take a little time to examine that. I think there's important things that we've got to, to learn there, and we'll come into that. Just so that we understand, um, the actual situation was very different to that. Um, Saul was wounded, uh, critically wounded. He said to his armor bearer, and if you're looking at this, it's in chapter 31 of the previous book. And Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified, wouldn't do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it, basically ended his own life a completely different situation to the one that was being presented. Then the armor-bearer did the same thing, and so on and so forth. Did he know? Had somebody else told him what happened? Or was he gaining a revelation? I don't, 
no, that it matters too much. What matters was he was not uh, immediately responding to the rather convincing story he was being told. And I want us to look at that because it raises a very interesting situation. God does not call us to be cynics. You know, people sort of who have the attitude, yeah, well, mm, don't believe anything. Actually, God calls us to be open-hearted, uh, ready to receive, uh, vulnerable, uh, with the potential of being deceived, um, ripped off, and so on and so forth. That's how, that's how he wants us to be. I may have told you before that I suppose over many years, um, Dawn and I have had the joy of experiencing uh, times of being let down, deceived, ripped off. So much so that uh, I always remember Noel Woodruff used to say, if you, you know, he used to say it publicly. He said, you know, if you, if you hang out with John, you will get covered in blood. And he went on to explain, because there's always someone cutting his throat somewhere. And after one of these, and it was generally speaking people outside of our own community who we sought to be open-hearted and receive and relate to. And after one of these times, I remember us talking and saying, this is, this is really painful. You know, you open your heart to people and they take advantage or rip you off or something like that. We really don't want to do this. And... Uh, we, we, we thought about that and we, we decided actually you can, you can protect yourselves from that. You can just kind of not open your heart. You can just be, you know, just, uh, just a little bit, not even cynical, just a little bit circumspect. And then we began to realize that if we did that, it meant closing our hearts, not being open-hearted, in the body of Christ. And actually, that state would be worse than the state of being ripped off or deceived or taken advantage of. So we had to make a choice. It's, it's an actual decision that we would continue to be open-hearted, ready to trust, ready to believe. And true to form, there have been times since then that we've experienced the same things that we had before. But by the grace of God, we have set a course. And we've set a course that we'd rather be open-hearted than cynical and close off against the body of Christ. So, so where does that bring us? Well, it brings us back to this place. There is a disposition that God wants in terms of loving him and loving the brethren, there's a disposition that he requires because we measure how much we love God by how much we love the brethren. And that's not about gooey feelings, that's about 
issues of open-heartedness and ready to receive and trust and so on and so forth. And we measure that, we measure the love of God by how we love one another because the Bible says you can't love God and not love your brethren. I mean, the, 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 it's a tangible measuring system. So what do you do? Well, it comes back to this. There's no formula. With God, there's never a formula. It simply comes back to this thing that we just saw David do. Openness to receive, readiness to believe, but also a very clear hearing God. What is God saying? And you know what? Sometimes he warns, and sometimes he doesn't. And that's God. Yeah, I can't understand that. You got it in one. You can't understand it because you never was equipped to understand it. All you was equipped to do was to be obedient, not to understand. See, God gave you a nice, compact, little finite mind, which was never, never wired to in any way understand or comprehend the infinite mind of God. So that brings us back to this issue again of the vital necessity to hear God. And I want us to take a little time to look at that um, with this story simply as a background. Now, just a little aside here. In our system uh, of notes and things on the computer, it gives um, an author to every document. And uh, so I was looking through, and I saw the author to this document was John Singleton. I thought, oh, this is the one I'm looking for. And then I began to read it, and I thought, oh, I didn't realize I could write something quite as clear as that. It must have been avralized or charlatized or, I don't know, going back, elspethized or leaserized or somebody's kind of done it, you know. Uh, but, it, of course, it does work the other way. Um, I find that, that often I'm teaching when Claire Asplin is the author. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a variety of names. But whoever wrote this, I thought was rather good. Uh, so I'm going to quote it, even though it's down as being me. Uh, hearing God, here's the good news. If you're born again the Spirit of God, you have a written guarantee that you can hear God. It's there. God said it. My sheep hear my voice. There's no two ways about it. It's, it's, it's right there. It's guaranteed. It's impossible not to do it. And of course, when you think about being joined into a love relationship, it would be very strange, wouldn't it? if it was one-way communication. You know, if I said to my wife, I love you, darling, which I do at minimum ten times a day, as all husbands should do. Isn't that true? Don't answer that question. <laughs> but if I never got any response, if she didn't speak to me, if I didn't hear what she was saying, which I do hear most of the time, not always, but it would be weird, wouldn't it? You'd say, 
How's there a, a love relationship if there's not a two-way communication? Well, they, how can we talk about loving God and Him loving us without there also being a two-way communication? We speak to Him and He speaks to us. Can we establish that? If the person sitting next to you doesn't look convinced, give them a little nudge and say, you know, he's right what he says. He's right what he says. Right. So God intends that we know his voice. And Jesus always was listening to the Father and doing what the Father said, and we have the same spirit, the same ability uh, that actually causes us to be able to... Um, to be able to do that, to be able to listen and to recognize his voice. Now, one of the problems is that we want to hear God in a particular way. Uh, we want to hear uh, often things like um, where and what. But of course, most of what God has to say to us is in respect of who and how. You know, I'm asking God, Lord, where, to, where, where would you have me to go? What would you have me to do? And so I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing. Because God is speaking to me about how he wants me to be. What kind of person? Much more important, the who and the how. Who and the how rather than where and what. Let's try that one out. Try, try, try somebody different this time. Who and how, not where and what. Maybe the person behind you. Now, this is the bit that I particularly liked. How many of you remember um, dial-ups and modems and things like that? Yeah? Tim, you can remember that? You must have been about two at the time, but... Yeah. Well... Uh, this little description is so good because it actually describes um, a wrong perception about hearing God called the dial-up connectivity. Um, and, and we can end up with a perception that it is that communicating with God is like a dial-up communication. It's got weaknesses. God, I can remember some of the times. <laughs> My wife can as well particularly in other places where we were trying to, to, to exercise this modem thing and you've got to get through the telephone system and, and then you'd just get through and then you'd lose it. And, and uh, I remember once when I was learning about some of these things that basically uh, I'd spent a huge amount of money um, with the hotel phone bill, basically dialing up and not realising that I was dialing up and incurring a, a hotel telephone charge each time. And until I got the bill, and there's this great long bill of all these sort of dial-up things uh, that, were going, uh, that were going on. So, uh, not the best way. Um, a dial-up connection basically uh, assumes that it's established, we establish through something that we do. And that... Um, Communication with God is based on just on our personal prayer and seeking God. And of course, for it to work, we, we reckon we must have a good connection. And then it's difficult to hear. There's interference of all the different things that exist 
at times in our lives. In other words, shame or guilt or doubt or unworthiness. Uh, we end up thinking that these things will stop us being able to communicate with God. Then, of course, at the end of the session, that's it. The connection's terminated, and we're not connected again until we, we dial in. And then, you know, the communication transmission rate is slow. Um, I used to get the thing completely jammed up. Someone would send me a picture, and that, that put the kibosh on the rest of the emails, communication, uh, because it just couldn't cope with it. Uh, but in the real world of broadband connectivity, we're created with a built-in wireless broadband, what we've just talked about. We, his sheep, know his voice. We can hear him. We have the capacity to hear uh, and change um, our, our belief system so that we know that that is that God who wants to and does and continually speaks with us. And he communicates in ways which we already know. Do you realize that? He communicates in ways that we know. Seeing, hearing, and feeling. You know, God speaking to us is not, this is God speaking. You now need to listen. If you have interference, turn to channel 15. It's not... God speaks in ways that we are quite used to. Feeling not, I'm not talking about our emotional reaction, but just a sensing. We use the term, and I don't know whether it's helpful or not, but you just know it and you know it. You know, it's just, it goes beyond an emotional thing, but it's something that we, we actually feel. And... Uh, uh, a sensing rather than, than an emotion, which is very important. And interesting that Jesus himself developed and learned through the things that he suffered. Now the word suffer actually also includes the notion of experience and sensation. It doesn't all have to be negative. It's got those, those other meanings in it. Um, and Jesus, of course, did what the Father gave him to do. And the compassion that he experienced was a, a, a divine communication. It seemed good to him, is a phrase which we hear time and again. He had something that came as an idea, and it seemed good. So the challenge for us is to be differentiating and understanding the different voices. Uh, voice of the Lord, or is it just my heart that's responding to something? Hearing God's vital because it, it kind of takes us, as it did with David, beyond the realm of human wisdom. It's, it's an awareness, it's a tuning in at a different level. Uh, outside of that, of course, we've only got our own human wisdom. David only had what he saw before his eyes. He saw somebody with torn clothes and dust on his head and a pretty good story. But it takes us beyond that. We need to hear God. And in terms of what we're talking about, the openness of heart and responding to doing what God wants uh, is very, very important. 
Sometimes uh, God's word actually completely contradicts what our logic, our understanding, even what some expert might be telling us. It, it can completely contradict that. And so we, we recognize and learn that hearing God is vital to pursuing what God wants and doing exactly what he says. It's good to bear in mind also that God says that he doesn't do anything except for he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. He does speak about what he's going to do uh, and it's very critical and important. And he also instructs us in Psalms that we will hear his voice telling us which way to go or confirming the way that we're going in it. So we need to hear God so that we can, we can please him and never lean on our own understanding. The Bible says that. It says, don't lean on your own understanding. You will really mess up trying to hear from me. So to hear God, uh, we have, and I, I'm just going to go through these quickly, but we have identified certain key things. And remember, it's all vital. It's vital that we all hear from God. It is greater than what our logical senses will determine. Uh, sometimes it will concur with that. Other times it will supersede that. To hear from God, number one, we have to be wanting to. It's no good coming to God and, and basically having decided what you want and then determining that you're only listening to God kind of rubber stamping that, only kind of confirming that. You don't hear God like that. If I've decided actually what I want is a pink Cadillac, I, I haven't yet concluded that, but let's say I decided that. You know, coming to God on that basis, now it don't work. God's not a slot machine. You put sort of coins in at the top and get something out uh, from the delivery uh, window. So we have to want to do his will. We have to be prepared to submit to him. The uh, Bible says that if we commit our way to him, trust in him, uh, he's able to form the very desires of our heart to concur with what he wants. But it starts off with our surrender to him. Um, it's reasonable to come with an expectation. Both God is our father and he's wanting to speak to us. Also important that we get that defining between, the Bible talks about um, God in the heart. It talks about how that, that can, can blur our hearing uh, when the emotions are, uh, are somehow disturbed in a particular direction, which is why committing our way to him and trusting wholly in him is a prerequisite so that whatever, no matter how strong I'm feeling about something, I am coming on the basis saying, Lord, uh, this is what I want, but I trust you. I trust you. Uh, I commit my way to you and say, Lord, you have your way. So we have certain things which help us in, in hearing God, and there are certain ways. 
we've already talked about reading his word. Um, we talked about uh, God speaking through the prophets. And that is uh, usually to confirm something rather than to bring particular direction. We believe that those who God gives to care for us, Bible sometimes use the term shepherds, would hear God with us. Let me say that again. Hear God with us. You know, there is, Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. So nobody else can actually hear God for you. They can hear God with you. They can bring you counsel. They can bring you input. But in the end, you have to know and settle that this is God's word and the, you're hearing God together. By the way, there's another aspect to that. Sometimes people come to me and they say, God has told me. What do you think? I have no thoughts. I don't have a thought. When, once you say, God has told me, I am not going to ever be in a place of saying, no, he hasn't. Because then I've just jumped into a place of saying, I am also a mediator between God and you. That God has told me. I might say he hasn't told me. And I would commend that. If somebody says, God has told you, you've got to work on the basis that that's between them and God. Don't interfere with that. Don't mess with that. Unless, of course, it's directly contrary to God's word. Yeah. God has told me to rob Lloyd's bank. <laughs> Which may be justified in the light of the fact that it's been robbing us for most of the time. But <laughs> but you can't, you know, two wrongs don't make a right, so... If it's directly contrary to God's word, God doesn't go against his own word. So we know that. Sometimes God can use circumstances to speak to us, but we still need to be open to him. It's also worth bearing in mind that the Bible says, in the multitude of counsellors is much wisdom. Now, you've got to be careful with that one. If I go to Anthony, say, Anthony, what do you think about this? And he doesn't tell me what I want to hear. I go to Martin and say, Martin, what do you think about this? He doesn't tell me. And I keep going to Neil and I get to Alan till, till I get, yeah, well, all I've done is in the multitude of counsellors as much wisdom. Well, that's just picking the thing that you want. I mean, that's not walking with integrity. That's not what it's about. It's about coming together. Bible says also that we, that is plural, have the mind of Christ. So there is something in sharing together. God intends that we are able to share together in a committed relationship where we're loving and caring for one another that we can, in plurality, have the mind of Christ. So, Anthony may say something, Martin may say something, Neil may say something, Alan may say something, and it comes together and we're, we're picking up together at the mind of Christ. Very important in the whole issue of hearing God. And so we can reckon that David, in that situation, in spite of what was presented to him, um, heard God. It raises another question. It raises this question of, but if we're going to be open-hearted, shouldn't we also uh, be trusting? Well, let me just comment on that a moment. The Bible tells us and commands us 
that we should forgive one another. Not over a process, not over a time, but in an instant. That forgiveness is there in an instant. It's there for the asking. Therefore, asking for forgiveness, whether it's asking God, which we know he promises, or whether it's asking one another, that's forgiveness. But trust. Trust is something that builds over a period of time. Yes, we're open-hearted and we're ready to forgive, but the issue of trust becomes something that we mustn't confuse the two things. God commands forgiveness, as he doesn't command trust. In fact, he examples uh, the very opposite in John chapter 2, uh, where he chooses not to trust. Now, you can't say he doesn't forgive. You know, uh, that's Jesus we're talking about. Very, very significant. And as you look through, you see other instances. For example, um, Zacchaeus was forgiven and then began to carry out a process over a period of time uh, of repayment and putting things right that would have rebuilt trust uh, during a process, a period of time. A process of repentance, bringing forth fruits suitable for repentance and reparation. The Bible talks about that in Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3, producing in keeping with repentance so that trust can build over that period of time. Interestingly, I've always found this verse very interesting. It's in Psalm uh, 105, but it's referring back to the story of Joseph. story of Joseph, uh, you know he went through all the things that he did, uh, and being betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery and ending up in prison and all that kind of thing. But in Psalm 105 it says this, that the word of the Lord had to prove him true. In other words, there was a process that continued until it had formed its work, until it had finished. A process of development, a process of building, a process of, trust, of trusting and testing. The Bible goes on to say that if we are trusting in first instance with smaller things, then we move on to uh, bigger things in his purpose. Uh, we have the story of um, uh, the parable of the talents, which again shows a, a, an ascending process in the issue of trust. And of course, in 1 John chapter 1, a very important scripture about our togetherness and our relationship. It talks about as we walk in the light, it's a process. Walking is not instant, it's a process. As we walk in the light, as we continue, uh, we continue in the process, then there is a building up, there's a release of fellowship, and there's a development of trust. So we, we see that, that there's a, a readiness to receive, there's an importance in hearing God. In issues of forgiveness, it's instant, but trust is something that has to develop over a period of time. So it's vital that we hear God, not to depend on our own wisdom or emotions or reactions. The Amalekite 
read the situation quite wrongly. Why did he do that? He read it wrong because, I mean, clearly David loved Jonathan, even if he actually feared Saul. He loved Jonathan, and that never changed. Uh, and maybe next week we'll, we'll take a little bit longer to look at that, and that issue of, of covenant, that issue of relationship, and how it worked out, and some of the aspects of that. You see, the fault, the weakness, the failure of the Amalekite was, and people, people like this, people tend to think that you are like they are that you will respond like they respond. That's why the Bible teaches us that for the children of God, we should be coming in an opposite spirit. If there's a spirit of contention, we should be coming in an attitude of peace. If there's a spirit of greed, we should be coming with a spirit of, of generosity. If someone takes your coat, give them a shirt as well. You remember that scripture? Different and opposite spirit. Now, he thought that David would be attracted by um, somebody coming up and, and uh, having a convincing story and presenting the crown and, and looking the part. He made a mistake there. And David was not convinced by those things because he was listening to God and open in heart but ready to hear what God was saying. And in fact, when you look at it, the story that you spun, the lie, the deceit, ended up destroying him. It, it, it led to his own destruction because of what he'd actually engaged in. Now the Bible tells us that as we hear God, which we hear in our spirit, it leads to this amazing thing called faith, a transforming. Something which lifts us beyond, takes us into a realm which is not about logical, rational thinking, lifts us beyond unbelief, not into la-la land, but into the reality of God has said, and that is of greater significance than anything else that we can see or hear. So we listen, we're patient. We're not seeking to take control of the situation. Let's get to the end of that story. And I think we'll kind of pause at this point. He was reporting, the Amalekite was reporting, he had man's permission to do this. Now we know that it was a lie. But let's just recognize that man's permission is not the same as God's permission. It may seem okay, it may seem legitimate, it may be justified, but is that what God wants? Is that what God is saying? And so as we got to the beginning of that lament and we kind of finished there, uh, just leaves us with an interesting thing. There's David who had been so badly treated by Saul and had reason to fear him, and yet was still prepared to honor the office. You know, 
There's a lot of misuse of this in the Christian world in which we live, where honouring the office becomes a justification for people holding office to carry out all sorts of um, wretchedness and sinfulness and unrighteousness. Well, the Bible doesn't make room for that. I had to deal with a case, not in this country, a while ago, where, and I'm talking real things, about the real world, where we have to be very careful and get a balance again between the recognition, the honouring of office, and not the abusing of it. A case where uh, a leader had said, well, um, uh, taking from the story of Noah, where his sons covered his nakedness, saying, uh, you don't say anything about this because you're covering. And I had to point out there's a difference between covering and cover up. Uh, and, and God doesn't call us to cover up unrighteousness. Uh, neither to make a meal of exposing things uh, in order to bring somebody down. It's the motivation of heart that's the issue, far more than the action. And there is an honouring, and there must be an honouring, because God has ordained that, never to the point of covering unrighteousness, but to the point of saying, well, I mean, you hear me say, and I believe I'm right in this, that I would probably be doctrinally fairly diametrically opposed to a lot of what I grew up under in terms of the teaching and the man of God who was responsible for that. The type of church, the belief system. But I always honour that man because he was appointed by God into that place. And he was serving with the revelation that he had at that time. I can be totally disagreeing and wouldn't dare to walk that way. And some of the things I now see were laughable. But nevertheless, he imparted something to me because of a position and an attitude of honouring God's calling. It's very, very important. So, Lord, let us be a people, please, who are open-hearted, who are ready to love, who are anxious to do what you want us to do, who are keener on that than anything else. Lord, let us be a people that hear you above anything else, above our emotions, above our responses, uh, above our reactions, so that, Lord, outside of trying to present you as a formula, which we know we couldn't and shouldn't. We are a people who are both open-hearted and yet hearing you. A people that are ready to forgive, but a people that understand that trust builds. A people that are looking to see what you want and how you want us to respond in every given situation, even those things which seem so obvious. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to move on in the whole area of hearing you and doing it, that we might be more like you. For your name's sake. Amen.